Brett Craig here from The Big Picture. Good morning, good happy Monday morning to you, or whenever you're listening to this. I just thought I'd put out a real quick uh, point of view on the Super Bowl yesterday. I, I found myself watching the Super Bowl partly because I had a friend uh, that invited me over for it. And, you know, given that, that the Super Bowl is sort of this peak cultural moment in America, and particularly it's a peak cultural moment uh, for advertising, and that's where I come from. Uh, I, I just wanted to kind of talk about what I saw yesterday in the Super Bowl. Everything from what was the messaging that was sort of being conveyed on the field, uh, whether it was on a helmet or in the end zone uh, or in all the uh, sort of pageantry that was leading up to the game that the NFL puts out to the commercials, and then also maybe focus a little bit on the He Gets Us campaign. Uh, it, it's just interesting because I, like I said, I, I, um, I don't even care if I watch the Super Bowl. I don't really watch any pro sports anymore. Once all of that sort of woke stuff started coming in and I felt like these leagues don't respect the audience enough to leave politics out of it, I just found myself, you know, maybe too because I've got kids and I'm, I'm busy with life, just kind of falling away from professional sports leagues. And I don't know if some of you, you guys can relate to that, but, um, yeah, I just used to love the NBA. I don't watch it anymore. Used to love the NFL. I don't watch it anymore. I didn't catch one game this year, not one game. I don't know the players anymore. I don't know the stories. And if, if you love sports and you don't, uh, you know then that if you don't know the players and you don't know the stories and you're not following all those narratives, it's just not that interesting after a while. So I've fallen off the NFL bandwagon. But I do pop over to see the Super Bowl, partly because of the advertising element in it and just wanting to see how the advertising industry is doing, because you can kind of get a little bit of a gut check on Sunday, uh, Super Bowl Sunday, because it's the one day when people actually care about advertising. And we see what advertisers are willing to or wanting to put into the world, how, to, how they want to represent their brands. Um, and so uh, but first, just in terms of the Super Bowl, and it's sort of being this distillation of the culture, right? Like if every, everything that our culture is, sort of all the mantras, all the isms, all the, all the current sort of... Um, zeitgeist will show up in the Super Bowl, right? All the things that we, as a culture, say we believe. And what I would say that I saw in the Super Bowl yesterday from the little bit that when I wasn't tweeting and (laughs) tweeting to other ad mafia people because we were all kind of talking about the advertising throughout the game. When I wasn't tweeting, what I noticed is this is the first sort of post-revolution Super Bowl. And what I mean by that is that America has definitely gone through a revolution, uh, whether we want to admit it or not, we we have swapped all all our values. We have swapped all of our our sort of core ideas, and it's all happened in, the, in a matter of three years. It all happened in sort of the span of the COVID uh, situation, right? Since COVID came up, uh, we had the BLM revolution. Uh, we we had a, a healthcare revolution in which healthcare no longer is an individual decision; it comes top down to you, and you get destroyed if you don't go along or ostracized, stigmatized if you don't go along with it. But we had a BLM revolution, then we had a healthcare revolution, then we're having an LGBTQ revolution. And all of these things are fundamentally challenging sort of the, um, just the way that we've always done things in America from individual choice uh, in the case of like the healthcare situation to uh, notions around speech, free speech or compelled speech. Um, even the idea of cancel culture, and, and, and that happens a lot around all of these issues, LGBTQ, uh, BLM, you know, people get canceled if they don't get on board with all of the isms and the mantras 
say her name, kneel, uh, put your flag up. Uh, so this has been a revolution and, and, and we've swapped all of the core values of America and we did it really fast in the last three years. And so we look at the Super Bowl on the other side of that. We're on the other side of that now. And what we see in the Super Bowl now is we hardly even notice it, right? Like I remember like two to three years ago when the Super Bowl started doing all this woke stuff, Airbnb, it was a particularly bad year when I was still at Deutsche LA, I think 2020, where just every ad was some kind of message. Now, I think we're on the other woke message. It was some kind of message about women empowerment, uh, Black Lives Matter. I mean, what, whatever. It, 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 diversity, equity, inclusion. <clears throat> and it was like every second that that was being said in the Super Bowl. And it was all kind of new. Uh, you know, this was coming off the kneeling with uh, Colin Kaepernick. But this Super Bowl, I think 2023, is the post-revolution Super Bowl. The revolution's occurred. You know what I mean? Like, if you think about it, like... It's not like we're arguing about diversity, equity, and inclusion. You know, I, I am. I'm actually out there saying that this is an evil ideology, and it is an evil, evil ideology. It judges people by race and gender. But it is inculcated in the system at this point. It is in corporate America. The Fortune 100, the Fortune 500, it is a part of what, what it is. It is a part of the NFL. Um, even in that other piece of the revolution I'm talking about, the lack of health care uh, choices, right? This sort of individual decision that you get to make. Well, that, that didn't happen in the NFL. And my understanding is the Players Association didn't want the vaccine. vaccine and then uh, the NFL actually overruled them, partly because they took big, big payouts from the government to promote vaccines. Um, so all of, this, all of this stuff that we've been seeing that is new is just de facto NFL policy now, right? And so you saw it on display last night. You saw, um, you saw it all. Uh, they wanted you to know that all the pilots that were going to fly over the stadium were all women, right? So that's, it was super important for you to know that they were all women. Okay, fine. I mean, but, it, but it, you know, so they, they wanted you to know that. Uh, in the end zone, and they've had it there all season, there was end re- racism <laughs> was written in the uh, end zone. Again, just race consciousness, uh, the, the, this idea that like critical race theory teaches us and diversity, equity, inclusion, which is just an out sort of a re-wrapper, a new wrapper on critical race theory, a corporate wrapper. Race consciousness is, is in the Super Bowl now. It's just a given. So uh, gender consciousness, race consciousness, we see it in those two things. And then LGBTQ consciousness. At one point, I think we were looking at a, uh, maybe we were looking at a, uh, aircraft carrier and they had the rainbow, everybody dressed in rainbow colors and the military, the military along with the NFL wanted you to have sort of, um, sort of a queer, queer politics consciousness. Like you need to be thinking about that. All of this stuff is just matter of fact. Now you see on players, helmets, love, love is love statements. Um, it's just, this is the wokeism is the new set of values, the new religion of the country. Uh, it has replaced whatever residual sort of echo that was left from Christianity, uh, and is that has been moved aside. And and not that it was real Christianity, by the way, it was an echo of Christian uh, cultural Christianity, right? But the NFL sort of embraced an old set of values. It was sort of a n- nuclear family league, mom and dad, kids watching on the couch. It was for everyone. Now it is. It's a little bit. Um, it's a little bit more. Racy. I think that's been going on for a while, ever since the Janet Jackson thing. But it's a little bit more racy at halftime. Um, but all these woke 
sort of mantras, woke ways of thinking. They're just de facto integrated into the NFL. And we don't even question it. It, it, It's in every commercial now, every ad. You can tell the casting is, and and the stories are told mainly um, to, to promote notions around diversity, equity, inclusion. They don't start with like, what's a great story? What would really entertain people? It's more like what would um, embrace wokeism? What what would make us look like we're on the sort of um, vanguard of the diversity, equity, inclusion uh, Olympics or cultural movement and wokeism? All the brands are doing that. That's what the NFL is doing. That's just one observation of yesterday that I had is that it's just like, there's, it's no longer a debate. It's no longer, uh, a question of whether we're doing it. It is just what we're doing uh, in the NFL now. Wokeism is the is the cultural sort of uh, thing that all institutions have embraced, including the NFL. And in fact, <laughs> during the game last night, it was funny. One of my friends, he's just so bothered by it all because it's just it's it's everywhere you look, right? It's like it's constantly being pushed into your face. That he just walked away and just sat and had hors d'oeuvres at a table and I looked at him and I because the game was pretty good right it was a pretty good game between the Eagles and the, and the Chiefs and, and sort of not the outcome that Eagles fans wanted but but in any case he would just went over to a, a table and just sort of like started eating chips and turned his back to the television and I asked him why because I just can't stand all the preaching all the all the sort of woke stuff just woven into the game so that it's just interesting that that, I think, is just where we're at now in the NFL. It's never going away. There is no conversation anymore. There will be no debate. It's just going to progressively get more and more like this. I mean, it was even just, a, what, seven or eight months ago or maybe a year ago, they said football is gay. Really? Like, football is gay? Is it gay? I don't know. I just, you know, and then NHL said that recently, too. So wokeism is what it is. It's not going away. So if, you know, it's it's just post revolution and a Super Bowl. I like I called it the first post revolution Super Bowl, woke revolution, let's say. And I think that's what we saw last night. And all the ads, just getting to that real quick, just a real quick point of view on the ads. This is what I did for a living. Obviously, I, I made a lot of Super Bowl ads, some good, some bad. One of the things about Super Bowl ads to know, they're very, very expensive. Um, so because they're so expensive, advertisers aren't in a mood to take too big of a risk, right, on, on Super Bowl. You like to think of Super Bowl as maybe like, um, this is when the really great advertising happens. And at times it has, 1984 um, for Shia for Day back in the day for Apple. Um, there has been great uh, advertising on the Super Bowl uh, in, occasionally. But really it is not the risk environment uh, or, or the environment to take a big risk if you're a corporation. That's not what brands are looking to do. They're looking for sure things in the Super Bowl. This is why they pay lots of money for um, big celebrities, right? Um, this is a very big bet, six, seven million uh, for the for the time, just for 30 seconds of media time this year. It's the most expensive it's ever been. And then if you want to build in your celebrity costs, build in your production costs, you're looking at eight to $10 million, maybe even north of that. If it's a 60, you're looking at, you know, it could be $11, $12 million. You know, I, I don't know what it is, $13, $14 million for a single ad. So in that environment, they are not <laughs> interested brands in taking very big risks. What does a non-risky ad look like? Well, it looks like all the things that you see in the Super Bowl. It's babies talking, lots of dog ads. The top five had th- two ads that were basically the same. One from Amazon uh, with a dog uh, Looking, for, you know, basically they buy him a, a little, uh, what do you call those pens that you put him in, a little kennel pen for your home. But he causes trouble when they're gone. It was an Amazon ad. And then the, and there was a farmer's ad about a dog, just at number one. And then number three was Amazon. 
both of those ads were interchangeable. They were like the same ad and they were about a dog. My point is there is they, they choose dog ads for a reason. They choose baby talking. E-Trade came back with its babies talking for a reason. They're sure bets and they choose celebrities because that's a sure bet. They're not interested in taking a risk on the Super Bowl. You're not going to see risky ads. So although everybody is there, 100 million people, to see this advertising event, the truth is the advertising is usually fairly lackluster in the Super Bowl and an occasional surprise that's good. Usually there's laughs though. And what I will say yesterday, you know, again, I was looking up and missing some, catching others. Were there any laughs, like out loud laughs? I even said to people in the room, is anybody laughing? And I just don't think there was. Now it wasn't overly woke, I guess. It wasn't overly somber. Um, You know, it wasn't overly preachy. Like I said, the wokeness is just sort of it's just ingrained in everything now in the NFL. So it's ingrained in the ads. You don't even, it's just what it is. That's just where we're at. But it wasn't like, um, at least they were trying to be funny and lighthearted. I just didn't think anything produced a laugh. I didn't hear anybody in the room laughing. Um, just nothing was funny. And I sort of look at the ad agents in industry world and I kind of realize that that's one of the things that's been gutted. And I think it's been gutted by wokeness. I mean, comedy requires that you kind of push around the edges a little bit of, of acceptability. David Chappelle does, uh, uh, Dave Chappelle does that beautifully. Um, but right, like when, when comedy is good, you're saying things that are, that are, you know, right on the edge of acceptability. You're pushing things a little bit, boundaries a little bit, right? And, and even as a Christian, you know, like there's, there's things that, you know, I won't, I wouldn't touch as a comedian or if I was a comedian or even in ads, because if I have to touch that boundary, I, I really don't feel good about it. But that's where the humor is, right? It's out there on those friction points with the culture. When you're saying things that the culture knows is true, but you're, you're, not, you're not allowed to say that. And so great comedy re- requires sort of uh, breaking out of groupthink, challenging groupthink, uh, saying the thing that kind of challenges what everybody is supposed to say, but we all know is not true. And wokeness is all about conformity. And I've always wondered since this woke sort of revolution swept into the advertising world, like how long before advertising creativity just completely dies? And I think I have the answer. I think it's dead. There has not been good work uh, in advertising in years. There's a couple great ads this year that I actually really liked. Um, Upwork uh, did a wonderful ad and it was uh, Jason Bagley, a, a creative that I actually worked with. It did all the great Old Spice work back in the day. Ladies, look at your man now. Look at me. And Jason's brilliant, uh, creative. And that was a wonderful ad uh, in the last year. It wasn't in the Super Bowl. It was basically a uh, CEO who who's dead like a zombie. And anyway, you got to see the ad. It's excellent. And like he starts singing and walking through the world and questioning why we have to work the way we work. And anyway, it's really good. I won't go down the rabbit hole of that, but, but we just don't see good advertising anymore, good creativity. And I think it's because wokeness above all else, above all else, what it is, is, is conformist. It demands that everybody think the same about things. It's, it'd be one thing if wokeness was just like a cultural way of thinking, but you didn't have to succumb to it. But we all know wokeness demands your fealty. It demands that you get on your knee and you bow down. Uh, if you don't, you know you're going to be called all the names, and I've been over that before. So, yeah, so that's what I noticed in the advertising overall. I wanted to drill into one campaign in particular, 
Most of the ads weren't funny. That's my overall observation. Most of the ads weren't particularly scratchy. One other thing I, I noticed before I move on to the He Gets Us campaign about uh, that was uh, selling Jesus, I think, uh, in the Super Bowl. One other observation I would say I had is just the um, – there was no scratch, you know, no controversy in anything, nothing that made you think – and nothing that made you think about the brand one second after it was over. Like, it was just so forgettable. So not funny, not scratchy, controversial, nothing that pushed the boundaries in any way, and, and totally forgettable. You just didn't remember any ad one second after it happened. No one would need to share any of these things. I did think the Ben Affleck ad at Dunkin' Donuts was, was cute and well shot and well acted. Of course, he's a good actor. And J-Lo, is, that was fun. I don't know what the point of that was, really. It was like what, what the brand takeaway was for it. Like I was looking for the message there and I don't, I don't get it. Is it the, I don't know what they were trying to say with the ad, but it was fun to watch. But moving on from my overall assessment of the commercials, talking real quickly about the He Gets Us campaign. At the He Gets Us campaign, apparently they're going to spend a billion dollars selling Jesus uh, to America over the next many, many years, I guess coming up or a few years or four years. I believe the Holly Lobby, I don't know if it's the owner or founder, um, he's put a bunch of money into it. But a bunch of people have put money into this. And, and, and I, I wanted to drill into this just for a second because I'm a Christian, as you guys know. And the natural sense of something like he gets us is, for me at least, is like, whoa, kind of cool that, um, you know, somebody's spending a bunch of money to kind of um, put Jesus in front of people on the Super Bowl and and in general. And in general, I think the campaign is done pretty well. Like in terms of like um, the look, the feel, the polish, it's not cheesy. Um, oftentimes I think Christian things, and I'm just being honest, as a Christian, I can have a very cheesy vibe. I think he gets us, has a very polished vibe. It's well executed overall. And the intent of the he gets us campaign, if you, if you watch the campaign, there's many, many spots, not just the ones we saw in the Super Bowl. The intent of the campaign is to kind of make Jesus culturally relevant. I don't know how you can escape that, right? Like it, every one of the ads seems to come in with sort of modern day stills in black and white of modern day culture. And then over the top of it talks about Jesus, who he was, as we're looking at sort of modern day hipster kids or, or modern day issues, always in black and white. And always talking about how Jesus sort of understands this cam, this this cultural issue we're going through, or or also just understands us, whether it be cancel culture or um, division, which is one of the things they covered in the Super Bowl. And, and I guess my point is is that um, it's a it's a campaign designed to make Jesus culturally relevant, and 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 I think it's a campaign also to sort of sell Jesus as um, the God that. Obviously, the, you know, the 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 man, the, or, you know, the God that gets us. He gets who we are. He gets what we're going for. And certainly, that's a message in the New Testament and in the Gospel. This notion that Jesus walked in our shoes. He was fully human, fully God, and therefore he understands what we go through. And, and, and I think Apostle Paul talks about the fact that he's a, a great high priest who who knows like what we've gone through. So the, the, he gets this message. I mean, certainly. You can argue that it's not, um, it's not off in terms of that, right? Like Jesus re- we knows what temptation is like. He's walked in our shoes. He knows what being hungry is like. He knows what being tempted is like. Uh, he doesn't know what sinning is like because he never sinned. So I get that he gets us premise. And I think they've done a good job of creating a very polished 
multi-execution campaign that can go on for a long time. So kudos to them for that. The question is, is this effective? And, and last night, I decided to do a little uh, Twitter poll. I just wanted to put out, I got about 900-something votes. I'll put a link to the tweet. Uh, and, but I want you guys to see it. And, it. and it broke down about 50-50. I think it ended up being 54-46. 54% like he gets us. Uh, they thought it worked or thought it was compelling, let's say. I, I said, is it compelling or not so much? And then about 46% of people said it's not so much compelling. It's not so much effective. And there was a lot of debate underneath the tweet about why. I just want to give you my two cents on this campaign, again, just from a Christian perspective. In my opinion today in Christianity, I, I think in America we have what is a, a dying church. Um, we largely have an ineffective church. And, and the reason that the, the church is ineffective in America, in my opinion, is the church has largely decided that it was going to try to get along with the culture. It was going to try to play ball with the culture. And, and the rationale there always is at the church is like, well, we've got to be relevant, right? Everything from the band that we put up in front of the church to the, the way that we preach to the way that the pastor dresses. <coughs> um, we got to accommodate the culture. We have to be attractive to the culture. Um, and this is just the dominant thinking in the American church today. And so I think he gets us, comes in that similar door. Like if we're going to reach the culture, we've got to be kind of like the culture. We've got to kind of look like the culture. We've got to kind of package Jesus up in a culturally relevant way so that the culture will actually pay attention to us and, and care about us. And where, that's where, if I have a criticism of the He Gets Us campaign comes, which is that has not worked, right? Um, we, 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 have, we have plenty of Christianity that is, attempts to be culturally relevant. You just drive through San Francisco. Recently, I did this. And you go by churches and you'll see rainbow flags draped over them and BLM signs. And that's sort of like the extreme you know, example of, of a, a church trying to be culturally relevant. Well, well, what is the culture saying? Well, LGBTQ, LGBTQ, LGBTQ. Pride, 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 pride. BLM, BLM, BLM. And what does the church do? It drapes those flags over the front of its door. It doesn't even matter if doctrinally it's impossible to square the Bible with those movements, in my opinion. I mean, it is impossible, actually. It's not, it's not really that hard to figure out. You have to do a lot of mental gymnastics to try to find a way to uh, square the Bible with the LGBTQ movement, for instance, and even the BLM movement, what it actually was, not what they said they were about, but what it actually was. So we see cultural relevance being the pitch to via the church already. So the he gets his campaign, if I had a criticism, is it just feels like it's more of that. And it doesn't seem to me like our, the American church is in a good spot. We have, in my opinion, we mostly have very weak pastors uh, afraid to talk about the culture, afraid to challenge the assertions of the culture. And I, I get it. And I was talking about this with a couple of Christian friends last night. I get it. Uh, this whole sort of COVID thing swept in. We had never seen anything like this before. Churches are being shut down right on the heels of that. We were BLM swept in with all this racial division and all this sophistry uh, in critical race theory and diversity, equity, inclusion that is quite well constructed uh, to produce guilt and shame in people for their skin color, uh, to label some oppressors and some oppressed. Um, and, and these are new, these are ideologies that raise themselves up against the knowledge of God, right? And they, they come right into the church. Um, you got the LGBTQ movement, which sort of really sort of... Uh, 
uses inclusion as its uh, thing. And, and if you're a Christian, um, we want to be inclusive, right? We want to be loving. We want to be welcoming. And so all these ideologies swept in. Well, if you love your neighbor, then you'd shut your church down, right, during COVID. And pastors were just bombarded in the last three years with one divisive issue after another with a lot of sophistry that came with it, pretty well-constructed sophistry for why they should go along with the culture, whether it's shutting down their church, uh, whether it's uh, uh, telling them, telling your congregation that vaccination is loving your neighbor, um, supporting BLM. We saw lots of churches getting on their knees and, and asking for forgiveness for things that they didn't do. Um, that slipped, slipped right into the church. It slipped right into the SBC, Southern Baptist Convention. That was a, kind of a big controversy. And then the LGBTQ thing, I think, is very much uh, being embraced by the church. Uh, we see more and more pastors who don't seem to feel they um, can stand up to this. They're, more and more of them are trying to act like uh, there's nothing to say on this subject anymore. Uh, the Bible suddenly uh, is communicating something different about homosexuality uh, and trans and things like that, when in fact the Bible has not changed at all. What has happened is, is the culture is coming at the church you know, like a locomotive with these ideologies and, and like I said, pretty well-constructed uh, sophistry behind these ideologies. It's coming like a Mack truck so fast, pastors, I don't think, uh, in defense of them, they've, they saw it coming, nor were they pre- prepared, and nor did they ever have to take a stand in America because of cultural Christianity, that echo, that residual echo of Christianity in the culture Um, made it so that pastors really didn't have to take any controversial stands for the most part. And the culture wasn't really demanding anything of the church in terms of maybe on certain issues like abortion. But now all of a sudden, the culture is pressing down on the church and saying, here's our beliefs. Here's what we think you need to accede to that. And my point is, is that the, the church has largely decided in that to be culturally relevant, to culturally accede to kind of give up ground to the culture so that it can be acceptable in the culture's eyes. That is the problem with the church, and that is my criticism of the He Gets Us campaign. While no campaign in 30 seconds or 60 seconds can deliver the nuance and complexity of the story of Jesus Christ, it very much leaves out um, some of the harder things about Jesus, the hard truths. You know, the fact that when he'd get done preaching a sermon like at Capernaum, he would walk away and people would bail. They didn't want to hear what Jesus had to say. Uh, he was a, a a truth teller. Yes, he spoke the truth in love, but he never backed away from the truth. And his main message was not about a cultural revolution, right? He wasn't trying to be re- relate to the culture. He wanted to talk to the culture, but he didn't change his message for any part of the culture. It didn't matter if he was sitting down with a Samaritan at a well who had five husbands, um, or I think it was five husbands, or if he was talking to a Pharisee who uh, had a high esteem for themselves and thought that they practiced the law perfectly. Jesus didn't butter, you know, he didn't water it down. He didn't water it down for a Roman soldier. He didn't water down the gospel for uh, a tax collector. Um, He had the same message for all of them, and he didn't really care about the cultural stuff, right? He just stripped it all the way real quick and went right to sin. Your problem is with me, was Jesus' message. Your problem is with my father. If you don't repent, in turn, you're, you're going to be forever separated from God the Father. And that was not a culturally 
Uh, it was a culturally relevant message, I guess, but it was not a message the culture wanted to hear. And I think a lot of this, he gets his campaign, is trying to walk that line of neutrality um, where you're, you're trying to sort of say things that the culture um, won't get offended by and make Jesus super appealing. But in fact, you know, Jesus was, and I've talked about this already in one of my YouTube shorts, he was so divisive that they crucified him. He even says, I came to divide mother and mother-in-law from daughter-in-law, you know, father from son. He came to divide. He's div- Jesus is divisive. He makes you make a choice. But it's interesting because I even saw that on the left, they criticized that he gets his campaign. Here's a headline from Fox News. AOC criticizes Christian Super Bowl ad, says Jesus would not fund commercials to make fascism look benign. Well, AOC is a little bit nutty. I don't know uh, what she's talking about there, like where the fascism was in the ad. I think she's talking about the ad that was about division uh, and that Jesus loves those that he hates. I think she's basically looking at that division ad and seeing all those pictures of people yelling at each other and sort of assuming the bad guys in it are the fascists, probably the white nationalists, the white Christian nationalists. But obviously AOC, the left, you know, being some sort of avatar for the left, she didn't like the campaign. Uh, interestingly, um, what was another one I saw? Uh, Newsweek said Jesus Super Bowl commercial connected to anti-LGBTQ, anti-abortion groups. So Newsweek's headline is, you should know that the people that made the He Gets Us campaign are connected to anti-LGBTQ and anti-abortion groups. So I guess the point there is, is that, you know, even when you try to make Jesus culturally relevant, they're still not going to want it. So what's the point of cultural relevancy, right? Like, like if you, it's sort of this idea if we water Jesus down, if we make him acceptable, then maybe we can have a seat at the Super Bowl advertising table. But yet you still get this headline from Newsweek that Jesus Super Bowl commercial connected to anti-LGBTQ and anti-abortion groups. So ultimately Newsweek, you know, is basically just saying you ought not even pay attention to the commercial because these are a bunch of bigots and uh, transphobes and anti uh, reproductive rights pe- uh, people making these ads uh, for He Gets Us. So you can't win for losing. AOC didn't like it. Um, it was another, one more take was kind of interesting that I saw on it. I actually uh, sort of agreed with Adweek, strangely, which, you know, <laughs> that would never happen in a million years, but I kind of did. Adweek said this about He Gets Us. He said, for its second spot, uh, He Gets Us opts to paint all confrontation as equal, glossing over the nuance in favor of misguided, overly simplistic messaging. This doesn't do anybody any favors. Well, I actually sort of agree with Adweek. It, it, it is. I mean, you only have 30 to 60 seconds, so not a lot of nuance is possible, but that was kind of an observation I and a couple of friends, like I said again last night, that were Christians had, was that it it sort of paints all confrontation as equal. I think Adweek has a point that there's no right or wrong, that Jesus is sort of um, neutral in what is going on in the culture. And I don't think he is. I don't think he's neutral on abortion. I don't think he's neutral on the destruction of marriage and or, or the redefinition, uh, and, and we're going to continue to redefine it, I think, in a million words, or the redefinition of gender. Um, and yet the, the ad kind of makes it look like... Um, all sides are correct, I guess. But its ultimate point when the division ad from He Gets Us was that we should still love our enemies, which, again, is true. Even when we disagree with people, we do need to love people. So that point is true in the He Gets Us ad. But it, it's just interesting. It didn't really please anybody. 
uh, again, my, my poll out of 900 something votes, about half and half it split people. <laughs> so anyway, that was my kind of Super Bowl wrap up and observations. Uh, but not like bland set of commercials. Uh, he gets this campaign that's trying to make Jesus culturally relevant when, in my opinion, that's all the church has tried to do in the last 20, 30 years for the most part, and I don't think it's worked. I don't personally think uh, this campaign will work ultimately because if you think about Jesus, he's, he is the most famous brand, <laughs> if I could call him a brand. It's kind of a silly way to think of him. But it's the most famous idea and the most famous story in the world, right? The Bible outsells every book by... I don't even know. It's just outrageous, 10 to 1. Um, There's no story that's bigger. We set our calendars by Jesus' death. There's no figure in history that is bigger, more well-known. And Jesus did all of that without a a billion-dollar ad budget. He didn't need any... um, He's just a a carpenter, right? Uh, Walking around uh, with people and uh, somehow, because... (laughs) The message is so powerful and because uh, it's empowered by the Holy Spirit and it's powered by a God that uh, loves us enough to give us a way back to him, that message has reached almost all parts of the world at this point. I mean, we're still, there's still places that have not heard it. Um, That's what missionaries do. But so, and that didn't happen with an ad budget. You know what I mean? It didn't happen with a big billion dollar investment and it didn't happen by Jesus trying to be culturally relevant. Uh, There was... At the end of the day, Jesus did not soft pedal himself to the people. And in fact, again, we know that's true because that's how he ended up on a cross. His message was divisive. Um, and he forces us to make a choice and nothing's changed about that. And I think a lot of times with these campaigns, like he gets us, we never ever get to the actual gospel, right? We, we are, we're so busy trying to attract uh, people, the bees with honey, that we never get to the truth about what is being put on the table. Uh, We can either choose to follow Jesus or be separated from God. That is the choice. Um, And we're in need of a savior. We're in need of Jesus. And we don't, there's, I haven't seen that in the He Gets This campaign. And that's the core gospel. That's the core core idea. We're going to, we're sinners. And Jesus said, are going to die in our sins unless we do business uh, with with God the Father by accepting Christ uh, and recognizing who we are. So anyway, that's my take on the Super Bowl. Just thought I'd throw that out there real quick today. And I hope you guys are doing well. If you haven't subscribed to uh, The Big Picture with Brett Craig, I wish you would. It takes two seconds. Go on uh, YouTube and just click subscribe. It would mean a ton to me. We have some great shows coming out, man. I got Jennifer Say. I've got uh, Mark Meckler, uh, uh, who was just on Tucker Carlson. He's got a great uh, message for the country about Article 5 and the Convention of States. Jennifer Say, is, like I said, is an, an amazing, just a really great interview and time with Jennifer. I loved talking to her. And then Laura Osnes, Broadway star that and her husband, Nathan Johnson, she got canceled for not taking the vaccine. And it, it just an emo- emotional interviews. I think emotional for me after everything I've, I've kind of been through. I understand this cancel thing pretty intimately. I like to think I've been canceled twice. I think I have been, um, which I'm going to go over in some of my monologues as well. I've got three monologues I'm going to be delivering. I'm really excited about the show. The production values are off the chart. Um, and I hope you guys really enjoy them. They'll be coming out pretty soon. We're cutting right now. We're going to get them out there, but please subscribe, if you would, on YouTube. I'm I'm making that the home for now until they silence me at some point. Anyway, I hope you guys have a great Monday, uh, and your post-Super Bowl recovery is going well. 
I'll talk to you guys next time. This is Brett Craig, and that's the big picture. <laughs>